Hello, uh, I'm joined by Harry Baker. Hello. Hello, Harry. Thanks for having me. It's okay. We're doing that thing where we're pretending we've not been chatting for a yeah, while and now we're being all formal yeah, and official. Uh, welcome back to York. Um, Thank you. What have you been up to in the, the mean streets of York? Uh, I wandered around, found a river, found a, a sun glaring through a window, mm-hmm. looked at it for a while. <laughs> And then I came here. It was a beautiful time. York is very good for rivers and and yes. sitting and looking at rivers. Exactly. So we've got at least two of them, to my knowledge. Um, so you're on tour at the moment with I am ten thousand. Yes. Days. Tell us about I am ten thousand. Uh, I turned ten thousand days old during the Edinburgh Fringe last year. So built up a show that became irrelevant during its own run <laughs> and I'm now touring it the year afterwards but it was enough of an excuse for me to come back to maths alongside poetry because I studied maths at uni wrote poems on the side now I'm doing poetry full time mm-hmm. maths is creeping up on the side and I'm kind of enjoying it through a poetic lens with no exams <laughs> and so all the joys of the maths nerdiness exactly. without being graded on it and you don't really do slums anymore so you're not even graded on the poetry exactly. so it's a double win um, so yeah tell us about being uh, like a maths kid that discovered poetry or was it a poetry kid that sort of got sucked into maths or is that binary too simple yeah so I for a long time just thought the two were very separate yeah. and they, they satisfied different parts of my brain and maths was very satisfying and I loved just solving equations, doing sums, doing puzzles and, and getting an answer in it making mm. sense. And by contrast to that, writing was a very free thing for me to do. Mm. I think there was a point when I realised I wanted to to write more poetry you know, I was about to go off to uni mm. and it just felt like an obvious thing to do to study maths because it wouldn't get in the way. Mm. And so writing was a fun thing I did on the side that I just didn't have to think about maths for a while. Yeah. Um, and then the more I sat with both, the more there has been this crossover. And I think I still get that satisfying things clicking into place feeling when I'm writing a poem, whether it's a particularly neat rhyme or playing with alliteration and stuff like that I think I while I'm writing I almost create puzzles for myself to try and solve and so I've noticed more of a crossover with the two do you think with especially with poetry that is towards sort of a, a rap format that has a certain beat and 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 or even poetry that forms verses and choruses and structure. Do you think there's a sort of mathematicalness within the construction of it? Because um, what you do isn't necessarily like a kind of free form. It's not m- yeah. sort of. It's it's it. Ha- it does have a structure to it. Do you find you enjoy creating that within that template? Yes, and I think definitely the the musicality of it and the rhythm and the rhyme mm. and whether it is as simple as having. 16 bars in a verse before having a refrain or switching up and you know I I mean I'm doing the music stuff with Chris as well that's a lot more structured but I think I've I've hesitated from having a 
formula for a poem. I mm. think I do still enjoy the freedom of being able to almost to set up a pattern and then break it. Yeah. But there's definitely a methodical nature to it of, of piecing it together and it slowly building rather than just a stream of consciousness. So you've written full length shows before of poetry and then you did yes. stuff with Chris, which is the, the Harry and Chris duo, the, yeah. the brand of Harry and Chris together, exactly. which you did for a couple of years. And, uh, and now you're sort of back to Harry Baker solo brand. Yes. Were the poems you were writing for I Am 10,000 sort of on the side? Were you s- slipping away from Harry and Chris stuff to write or did it sort of Harry and Chris stuff sort of come to a bit of a pause and then entered the new phase of I Am 10,000? Yeah, what was nice was before Harry and Chris stuff, I'd done two solo hour shows Mm -hmm. that were both kind of, here's all the poems I've written recently Mm -hmm. in order, and then did another show, and my my book had just come out, and Mm -hmm. that was kind of a, here's the best of everything I've ever done. Mm. Um, And so then to have three years where I wasn't doing a solo show and to come back with this it was the first time it felt like there was more of a theme than something that was purely autobiographical Mm -hmm. and so partly through doing the Harry and Chris stuff I I really loved performing in comedy spaces as well as theatre spaces and seeing how much a comedy audience can tolerate before you have to put yeah. the joke in, or yeah. you know, and, yeah. and just easing that tension and, and how you labour yourself and how you're received because of that. But I think rather than a sense of, oh, I'm doing Edinburgh next year, I need to come up with enough mm. stuff, it was a sense of, oh, this is great, I've got four or five different things. I've just written on the back burner over the last yeah. few years. It feels like I can sort these together. And actually, there's a couple of poems in the show that are that were in the first show I ever did, but have a new context. So it was a sense of putting together the best hour I could that felt like it was linked cohesively. I'm interested in those um, comedy audience you've talked about. I think more than any other poet I can think of, you've done so many different types of audiences. Yeah. So in when I watched the in prep for this gig, the TEDx talk, I think there's a lot of like people just nodding their heads and appreciating, mm, very good. And then, yeah. you know, you do school stuff and you've done the dope flop stuff and you've done the comedy stuff and then you do like sort of normal, what, what we think in the scene yeah. of normal poetry gigs where people laugh and then they also appreciate and then maybe click. So I, I, I guess, do you, are you very conscious of that or do you go, look, this is my stuff, you take it as, as I can't perform it? Yeah, I think every space I've performed in I've tried to stick with it long enough that I can adapt to it Mm. and so I was very conscious during the rap battles that when I started I didn't know how to leave space for reaction and keep Mm. momentum if people didn't react Mm. because everything I was doing was new Mm. and at the same time it's the most attentive audience to wordplay that you will get people are literally there wanting to react to what you're saying um And the other end of the spectrum is doing stuff in schools. I learned how to perform poems for an hour and get nothing back. (laughs) Because (laughs) they're all teenagers and it's 9am and some of them might like it, but it's not cool to like stuff in front of your friends. And so I feel like that was more of a learning curve than any like comedy preview Mm. audience. And I think 
for me it was always a nice surprise being funny in between poems mm. in a show that was labelled spoken word. Mm. I think it was by by calling it comedy and doing it with Chris. And to a certain extent we were reviewed as a comedy act and it felt like some of it just didn't feel relevant to them. Or, you know, it felt like they were judging it on what a comedy show could mm. be. And so our last show with Harry and Chris was was definitely the funniest, but it felt like it took four years to get to that point. Yeah. And actually, my favourite bits of our shows are the, the sort of poignant breakdown sections mm. because I think... I've always loved using humour as a way of putting people at ease mm. and then in between that, saying what you want to say. Yeah. So I think entering it in the comedy section of The Fringe was... It meant when writing the show, I made sure it was funny enough at the start mm. so that anyone who'd never seen me before could get mm. on board and be introduced to the fact that there were going to be poems during it. But then it's a weird one because I've been touring it and in some places I'm doing two halves of 45 minutes. So the mm. first half is just back to me doing poems yeah. and they weren't written or structured as a comedy thing. But also it's... I've seen loads of comedy shows that are just brilliant and not necessarily funny the whole way through. So I think it's trusting that if people are there in front of you willing to listen, you can win them over. And are you finding that your audiences are maybe being a bit more diverse? People that followed you through Don't Flop and then poetry and even some people have seen you on like comedy s- circuits like and, and YouTube stuff. Do you, are you finding like it is a bit of a mixture in, yes. in, on this, on this and, little tour? And it's, it's been really nice doing this tour because it's the first time I've done a tour just as a solo act yeah. all around the country you know most gigs I've ever done have been through other people and so putting yourself out there like that there are people who have coming along who just watched my TED talk five years ago yeah. and remember it and so yeah at my gig in Brighton it was very I think because I because there wasn't a green room, I was just speaking to people as they were coming. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just and so there were a group of six guys, and one of them was a rap battle fan, and they brought yeah. his mates along, and they didn't know what to expect. Yeah. And there was a family whose teenager liked the Matt's Ted stuff, and there were some people who saw me at a festival. And so there was all of these different people, but actually it was really nice then to feel like I had long enough to showcase all the different things that I'm doing. Because I think if I'm doing a... 15 minute spot in a comedy venue I feel like I have to just try and be funny enough to justify D- yeah you've got to hit the you've just got to hit just enough beats for it to be yeah. okay that that wasn't yeah. some poet who thinks he's funny that was funny poetry sort yeah. of thing yeah whereas I think you know and if if I'm doing I did five minutes at a literature festival on the same bill as Simon Armitage and Carolyn Duffy and I was like oh well I need to pick a poem that's not completely stupid maybe Mm -hmm. but also actually it's about holding your own in those spaces and so I think I've I've learned to trust enough in what I'm doing Mm. and I think one thing that's good about this tour and the way that I've pitched it is it's very clear 
that I'm going to be doing some poems and doing some maths. Mm. And so it's, I've basically mostly had lovely audiences mm. of people who want to hear those yeah. things. That's so I think yeah. if anyone comes to the show and doesn't like it, I feel like it might because they didn't know what they were coming to. Mm. Or, or maybe I was rubbish, but I think I am giving a fair representation of what I say the show's going to be. Uh, what's, the, what's a key item that you take on tour? Uh, water bottle. Okay. I have. I drink so much water. I've upgraded to a, a full liter bottle. Okay. Half a liter is not enough. Um, notebooks. Notebooks. I've started compartmentalizing my notebooks, mm-hmm. which feels like it would be a good idea when I have to look back at stuff. Mm-hmm. But mainly just means I now carry three around instead of one. <laughs> okay. So that's you just increase the burden. Impractical. I bought a new case, mm. especially for tour, mm-hmm. to take merch around in, but it's slightly too big. So if I fill it with its books, <laughs> it's just really heavy and then demoralising because I will never sell that many books. So to pad it out, yeah. I've got a pillow as well, Great. which then means on the train back, there's ones to sleep on. Top so tip there from Harry Baker to yeah, take a pillow for a little little snooze just on Just pad trains. out your case. Um, so you've toured with... with with Chris and then you've also toured with Gecko this is sort of a solo thing yes. uh, do you like is the sort of like do you listen to podcasts is there like a little routine when you arrive in a new city obviously it's not directly back to back like people imagine yeah. some tours might be you, you've got lots of days off in between so how are, you, how are you sort of finding this like sort of solo venture from city to city it's yeah it's mostly one or two dates at a time and I think at the moment I've got a lot of writing and work that I'm excited about. Mm-hmm. So actually having three hours on a train is a complete blessing. Yeah. And, and I love that. And I think if, if I'm touring with Chris or with Chris and, and Gecko, it's such a brilliant chance to hang out with people going around the country mm-hmm. that it would feel like a waste to put my headphones on and do some emails. Mm. So, so you know, that was a much more social, fun mm. thing to do. Um, I'm trying to balance that. And I think off, after a gig, I'm not going to get my laptop out. I will listen to music or, yeah. or try and read a book or something. But so far, I've enjoyed getting to just do some writing on some trains yeah. and see what it takes me. That's very nice. Um, uh, that that nice image of just sat on a train chilling out is just uh, it's completely knocked my brain out of whack. I just go, oh, I want to sit on a nice train and chill out. Um, I think the first time I uh, sort of saw you and met Harry was years ago in Edinburgh in like 2011. I think you were maybe still a student or I, I'd yes. just graduated. And it was just like, you know, a little gig in the Banshee and, you know, there's like 20 people there and it's a little slam. And, you know, we're here now in 2020 and we're talking about... TEDx and Don't Flop and Spoken Word like I think both of us are still quite young millennials by the comparison of the Simon Armitage's and the um, uh, and, and and the the John Cooper Clarks and the, the Benjamin Zephaniah's of the world have been doing this for decades but I wonder if you just got any thoughts on how the sort of scene ch- has changed from sort of leaving uni as this uh, as, a, as a mathematician yeah. and now here you are as a professional poet and 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 yeah, and where spoken word seems to be moving in these days. 
Yeah, at the end of last year, because it was a, a new decade, a lot of people were reflecting on 10 mm-hmm. years ago. And that was pretty much when I was starting out, going to loads of open mics. And one thing I find interesting now is seeing people who I was doing those open mics with being celebrated in various different worlds. So uh, Dean Atta Mm -hmm. has had his book winning all sorts of prizes and that's, you know, either children's or young adult. Meanwhile, Raymond Antrobus is winning all sorts of prestigious prizes. Absolutely smashing it, yeah. And I got to know him through doing slams together. And even then he was a lot more interested in page poetry than some of our contemporary, Mm. you know, than me, I I didn't know anything at that point. And so it's seeing people who actually, even back then were brilliant, but they've been brilliant for long enough that it feels like they found other avenues to sort of channel that Mm. towards. And I think for me, Rob Orton was a massive inspiration in terms of seeing someone do their thing and you know he went into the the comedy circuit and has just written a new show every year for the last six or seven years on a theme but he is so fundamentally still himself in that and he's now being celebrated for that yeah and so I think that's been brilliant to see but at the same time it feels a lot easier well, with some people it's still difficult. But if I try and explain what I do now to people, there's more of a frame of reference. Yeah. And whether it's because people have heard of Kate Tempest or Holly McNeish or Tony Walsh or whoever mm. it is, it feels like it's a bit more in people's consciousness as a thing. When I was waiting for the bus to come in, and there was a middle-aged couple who were like, visiting York and they were asking like what bus to get in and they said oh what do you do I said I'm putting on a poetry gig tonight and they were like oh uh, we went to uh, our, our friend was running a little gig in our little village and uh, oh I didn't know what to expect oh I thought it you know I thought it'd be uh, a bit odd not so but I really enjoyed it I really enjoyed some of the stuff and um, you know it I think that's really joyous when I get someone coming up to us after a gig uh, whether it's something I'm performing at or putting on as a, as a promoter and they're like well I didn't know what to expect yeah. and I thought poetry was a bit rubbish but I really enjoyed that and what I also enjoy is when we put a slam on uh, or an open mic or whatever and you just get like such a variety yeah. of poets and um, and styles and identities and backgrounds um, that it does feel quite exciting and yeah. it feels like it feels very different to, it feels like a little bit more undergroundy 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, and as you say, harder to explain. But now I just feel like the growth, it's like a snowball, but upwards. Yeah. And I think <laughs> seeing things like Unislam that's just gone and yeah. the, the networking there. I mean, I've always loved, in terms of the UK scene, the variety that you will see in an open mic night mm. or a slam or that kind of thing. I've, I think I when I went to the States and went to some poetry slams there, there was a much more distinct style that everyone did because it was expected. Yeah. And I think, you know, and I think it's a, a testament to that, that people who have all come from this same place are now 
winning literature prizes mm. or selling out comedy gigs mm. or writing award-winning plays. It's all come from that same sense of communicating an mm. idea. And I think... Yeah, I think I think it's... It still feels exciting when you go to an open mic and people get that, yeah. that spark from it. I mean, I feel that like I've now engineered a situation where it's it's doubled up and after a show people say oh I didn't think I like poetry I now get people saying oh I didn't think I like maths but I've just just found more niche areas that I've become an unwilling ambassador for as arts people uh, uh, it's funny you mentioned before about you know the two you use a certain type of your brain to um, think of you know maths and and, and arts and, and like it is more important to mirror the two um, maybe tonight I'll go, oh, maybe I need to go and read a maths book. Um, last question I wanted to ask you, Harry, uh, is what sort of, I guess, we were touching on before the chat, is, uh, listener, if you're, uh, wherever you're listening to this, the date now is the 15th of March and the UK is in a funny old place. Um, you might be listening to this in 30 years in the future and they might be like, 15th of March, my God, that's the <laughs> day before the great cataclysm. Or you might go, what? Corona, but basically the 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 UK is in a very interesting, precarious, um, confused situation where we're getting these sort of mixed messages about coronavirus and um, and not only a lot of things like sporting events being um, closed down and suggesting the mass gatherings being stopped, a lot of poetry events and arts events are also sort of questioning that and uh, this sort of advice has been you know a hundred people or more. Um, but then other, it, it's a confusing thing. So I don't know if there's anything like you've sort of feeling or picked up or thought or, or in this sort of snapshot moment. Yeah, I think it's, I don't know the last time that, but like something has so immediately affected everyone. Mm. And so from a personal perspective, it's, feeling like it might be insensitive to try and convince people to come out yeah, together yeah. to, to see me perform. Yeah. But at the same time, I don't want to... You don't want all society to come to a halt instantly. And so I think one, there's always stories of hope in amongst this. And, and they're always the things I gravitate to mm. because I think on one hand you see people stockpiling all of the pasta or antibacterial gel mm. and there's nothing left for people who need it more mm. and it, it can bring out the worst in humanity. But I think seeing people club together and try and organise ways that they can deliver food to one another mm. is, is always the things that I hold on to. So I think I very much am aware it's it's not about me. I'm happily in the middle of how affected different yeah. people are. I know there's people who are far more at risk. But I think, yeah, if we can continue to, to be thoughtful and realise that everyone's going through different things. But if... I mean, it's hard to say you want that to bring you together mm. when... It's a very specific situation. You <laughs> yeah. don't want, we want it to be brought together. Brought together, but, but not to touch one another yeah, or cough yeah, on another. If we can come together emotionally <laughs> while staying apart physically. Yeah. That's something. There's talk, isn't there, of uh, 
virtual ways of talking about poetry on Skype and Zoom and, and we mentioned before like thinking about live streaming gigs and it's still very new and like we're, people are exploring these avenues but um, out of this kind of quite scary stuff maybe we can be inventive and I'd like to see that as well as being practical and just you know watching a gig on Skype or Zoom whatever the, the thing is that we can play artistically with also how that's formatted and how that's delivered and 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 i think there's already bits bouncing around twitter Noel feeding um put something about an arts club up yeah. um where people could join him at a certain point so yeah. who knows what will come from it yeah I, th- I think i think what we do is about connection and it's working out how you can still connect if not physically because i think there's still something different from watching a youtube video of someone hmm. to being part of an event yeah. whether it be streamed or otherwise so so yeah hopefully there are ways that people are inspired out of this to to try and connect in ways that haven't been necessary before. Lovely stuff.